This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today. I'm your host, Jay Scott, and I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast. Today I wanted to talk to you about a few things before we get into the episode with Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources. We've got a great episode coming up today uh, talking about elk and elk behavior uh, Chris is always a great guest on the podcast, one of the most uh, uh, favorite and requested guys on the podcast, so I know you guys are going to enjoy this episode. I uh, wanted to cover a few things first. Uh, first thing is I want to appreciate, uh, I do appreciate all the comments and uh, all the positive uh, feedback that I get from the podcast. Every day I get emails, text messages, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, phone calls uh, from you guys telling me how much you enjoy the podcast. One thing I'm going to ask you to do is to make sure you subscribe uh, in iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure you subscribe because that helps our placement with iTunes. Uh, Also, uh, please give us five-star ratings and good comments, uh, which also helps our placement with iTunes. And I just appreciate all the positive comments and feedback Uh, One of the things, if you do subscribe in iTunes, uh, as soon as I load an episode on the Podbean server, it immediately gets uh, uh, downloaded to your uh, device uh, on iTunes. If you don't subscribe, sometimes it takes anywhere from 6 to 24 hours before you can listen to the episode. So uh, just a little heads up there. Um, also I've gotten probably six or eight questions from guys asking about, uh, what I do for a living outside of the podcast and outside of hunting. And I figured I got the question enough that I would go ahead and answer that on this podcast. Uh, I got my real estate license in 1997 after graduating from Arizona State University. And I have been selling real estate ever since. Uh, I happen to work with some uh, very experienced people. I work with my dad, uh, Bill Scott, who's been in the business probably now over 30 years. Uh, I work with Dar Colburn, who is also my uh, hunting partner and uh, partner in the guide business, Colburn and Scott Outfitters. Uh, I believe Dar came on about 2000, and uh, we've been selling real estate ever since. Uh, also work uh, n- new to the team is my nephew Jay Pyburn and um, we've my primary focus has always been on residential land and developing properties and uh, ever since the market took a dive in 2008 uh, my bread and butter business has been been fairly slow but I see some some uh, things starting to pick back up and that's exciting uh, we are a full-service real estate team, and um, uh, Dar Colburn uh, and my dad and, and Jay Pyburn, uh, they sell houses, they rent houses. My dad's a property manager of over 70-some properties. Um, 
we we all have experience in property management, in uh, residential resale, uh, and uh, basically a full service uh, real estate office. Uh, if any of you guys listening uh, need any real estate advice or need a market analysis on your property or you're looking to buy or sell any real estate in, in Arizona, specifically in Metro Phoenix or uh, excuse me, Metro Phoenix area, um, we definitely would like to talk to you. Um, you can reach uh, Dark Holborn or myself. Uh, at 602-996-9910. We are with Realty Executives. Our office is in uh, PV, basically at Tatum and Shea. Uh, I have been there since, uh, I want to say, 1999. Um, so we've been established there in the area for a long time. Uh, like I said, we have experience in, in buying and selling rental properties, managing rental properties, uh, buying and selling you know, many residential houses and then uh, also the focus in, in uh, land and land development. So um, appreciate that question. Hopefully that, that answers that for, for you guys. Um, if you uh, have any real estate concerns or needs, you can email me at jscottoutdoors at gmail.com. Uh, uh, you can email Dar Colburn at Dar, D-A-R-R, Colburn, C-O-L-B-U-R-N at AOL.com. And uh, we'd be happy to help you uh, with any of your real estate needs. Um, I want to thank, uh, thank our listeners for those questions. I also wanted to talk to you about a friend of mine, uh, Jeremy Googlemeyer, uh, operates a business, a, a guide business, uh, called uh, sagebrushhunts.com um, and um, he, he does a great job with hunts and he has a uh, ranch, he does a lot of antelope hunts, whitetail hunts, mule deer hunts, uh, elk hunts uh, but he has uh, sent me a message, he has a northeast New Mexico antelope hunt three days fully guided um uh, Northeast New Mexico, these hunts take place on a 57,000-acre ranch. Uh, this ranch is very well managed and is hunted for, uh, very conservatively. Uh, the ranch has some of the best antelope country a guy is going to find in New Mexico. Um, the ranch conditions this year is one of the wettest springs on record to make conditions they've, the best they've been in years. Uh, this is a three-day fully guided two-on-one hunt. Uh, price has been reduced to 3000 no draw required. Uh, he has three spots left. Uh, the dates uh, for that he has available are September 1st through the 3rd, um, but he could do any three days from September 1st through 11th. His preference would be September 1st through the 3rd. Um, this is uh, someone that I know very, very well. I call him a close personal friend. Uh, he is uh, one of the good guys in the business, and uh, he's a very, very honest and very straightforward straight shooter. Uh, you might check his website out at uh, sagebrushhunts.com. Uh, you can reach Jeremy at 806-333-4358. You can email him at sagebrushhunts at hotmail.com. Um, he's a guy that uh, I've hunted with before, and uh, uh, he, he puts on great hunts. Him and his wife are, are two fine individuals, and I can't uh, recommend them enough. 
Uh, guys, I also want to um, talk about um, my sponsors of this podcast, and I think it's important for you guys to know that uh, the, the podcast exists because of the sponsors. Uh, without the sponsors, uh, you know, I, I, I probably wouldn't be able to perform this podcast uh, as, as good as it is. Um, and I want to thank them. Uh, uh, first, uh, Deadeye Outfitters. Um, you need to go on DeadeyeOutfitters.com and check out their awesome shirts, uh, t-shirts, hats, hoodies. Um, Chris Lacey, who is from Nevada, is the artist that designs uh, and does a lot of the, the, the great artwork. Chris is uh, world-renowned for uh, his wildlife artistry. Uh, he does a lot of the mural paintings that you see if you've ever been in Cabela's stores. Um, he's been on the covers of the catalogs of Cabela's, and he's a, he's a fine uh, wildlife artist. Uh, Nikolai Cavilia, one of the owners as well. Um, uh, one of the things that's so cool about Deadeye is that they are, um, they're all hunters. And Chris and Nikolai specifically uh, live in Nevada and have hunted all over the West. Uh, we had a podcast episode with Nikolai and um, his love for hunting runs deep, as well as Chris Lacey, who um, many of you know from harvesting lots of great trophies across the West. He's a Boone and Crockett scorer. Um, Deadeye Outfitters also has the exclusive uh, licensing for all the Boone and Crockett apparel. So over the over the next year, there's lots of great things going on with this company. And, and if you go on and, and check out their hats, they've got some cool designs um, and their shirts and hoodies and sweatshirts and all sorts of stuff. So now, if you order something at Deadeye Outfitters or when you purchase something, uh, if you use the promo code JSCOTT, you will automatically receive a 10% discount on all of your orders. Uh, and so I want you guys uh, to go look at their site. Uh, they've got some awesome stuff and use the promo code and that will get you a 10% discount. And I want to thank Deadeye Outfitters. Uh, they've got an awesome Instagram page. Uh, they've got over 50,000 followers. Uh, and um, they, they do great work. So uh, please support them. Uh, and I also want to thank uh, GoHunt.com Insider. Um, they have been supporting this podcast for some time. And uh, they, they do great work. And uh, being a GoHunt Insider member... Um, if you're a member, you get um, exposed to all sorts of hunts that they give away. They just gave away a 22500 uh, valued uh, doll sheep hunt with Nahani Butte Outfitters. And uh, they also got $2,500 in travel expenses. So that's an all expenses paid hunt. And the only uh, stipulation was that it was to insider members. So that's a hunt that if you're an insider member, you have a chance. A GoHunt.com insider member just has a chance to win. Uh, they, they're kind of doing some groundbreaking stuff here. In the month of July, they're giving away... Um, uh, four four tags in four weeks, and they've already given away a, a fantastic antelope hunt uh, last week. Uh, this week for Go Hunt Insider members, uh, this is the week two landowner tag giveaway, July 14th through the 19th. 
uh, New Mexico Unit 10 Rifle Elk Tag. Hunt dates are October 17th through the 21st uh, of this year. It has a retail value of $4,000. Uh, the description of the tag, most bulls harvested here are in the 300 to 350 range, but there are Boone and Crockett bulls harvested in this unit every year. This is also one of the easier units to hunt in the state since it has plenty of public land with all with excuse me with elk found all throughout the area. Rolling hills, thick pinyon juniper cover, and pockets of ponderosa pine make this terrain easier for hunters to hike and cover on foot. So this is a, a, a great chance to win a hunt. Um, all you have to do is be a Go Hunt Insider member and register. And uh, they're going to be giving away two more hunts after this one. Uh, and uh, they also have uh, just a slew of uh, landowner tags um, on their website. And, uh, you know, there's 154 available tags. Uh, just briefly looking at this here. There's a Colorado Unit 12 third, third Rifle uh, Elk. This is a trespass hunt, uh, $1,600. Uh, if you just scroll down here, there's um, a uh, Colorado Unit 75 Fourth uh, Rifle Deer Tag, $4,500. Um, there's a New Mexico Unit 17 Archery Elk Tag, fully outfitted, $10,500. Uh, just going to scroll down, just randomly pick some here. There's a unit, uh, a New Mexico Unit 13 Archery Elk tag fully outfitted for $9,500. Um, uh, there is a Arizona Unit 17 Archery Deer over the counter hunt, uh, $4,500. Um, there's a New Mexico Unit 12 private land only Archery Elk tag fully outfitted for $8,000 and, and hundreds more. Uh, so you can go view those hunts on GoHunt.com. Uh, if you join the GoHunt.com Insider, you have a chance to get a discount on all the landowner tags. But not only that, uh, you have a chance to be in the drawing for all of the great giveaways. Um, so I want to thank GoHunt.com Insider for supporting the podcast and being such a great sponsor. And I look forward to the future. And and I want to thank you guys, our listeners, and let's get right to the episode with Chris Rowe. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today, we're fortunate to have Chris Rowe of Rowe Hunting Resources again on the podcast. And I had so much great feedback from the podcast episode uh, that Chris and I did a while back that I thought I would have him on again. Uh, he brings a lot of expertise to the table, and I'm proud to have him on again. Chris, how are you doing? Doing all right, my friend. How are you? Oh, doing just fine. We're getting closer and closer to elk season. Uh, every day that goes by is another one. We're getting closer, so I'm getting excited. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. That's awesome. Chris, I know you've um, just recently up, uh, uploaded a video to YouTube um, and basically talks a about a topic we briefly talked about in the last episode about why it matters, meaning the actual sounds and calls you make you believe that it does matter, uh, you know, when you use those and what sounds you're making. Uh, talk to me a little bit about that video that you just uploaded on YouTube. Well, I, like you said, from our last discussion, some people listened to it, and you know, I I got a lot of feedback from it as well. There's two schools of thought, and in general, they are, you know, there's a there's a camp of 
folks that believe that it really does not matter what you're saying. So if I go out in the woods or in the hills or whatever, and I and I give a cow call. So let's just say I, I give a lost mew. People use the terminology lost mew. All right. So I give a lost mew. Well, does it really matter if I know exactly what that is meaning, or does it, or is it more important to just be, you know, really good with my calling and, and give quality sounds and use quality calls and and just put a lot of feeling and emotion in your calling, all right? So there's the camp that says it doesn't really matter. You just want to sound good, and you want to sound like you have a lot of emotion, and you're you know really pleading in your calling. And I think before you go into the next one, I think I would fall into the category of I haven't thought about it enough to know why it matters or to think about why it matters. And you really opened the door on our last conversation. I've always felt like I have great sounds. But to be honest with you, a lot of times I don't even know what sound I'm making. I'm just making a good sound. I'm kind of in the middle because I am of a belief that it really does matter. And going through the elk module on row hunting resources uh, after our conversation, it really started you know, making me want to know more and learn more about what actual sounds to make because I feel like I can make good sounds. I just need to know when to make them. Yeah, and and, and I think you nailed it with something you just, you just mentioned in the fact that there are a lot of successful uh, elk hunters out there and call, whether you're a calling instructor or just at your caller or your elk hunter or whatever – or a guide or outfit or whatever, there are some just phenomenally successful folks out there that, that they don't know what, what it is that they're saying. They've never put any stock in it. They don't care. They just say, I sound good and I'm successful. So that's really all that matters. Well, and, and again, this is a controversial topic. I mean, it, it really is. You can get some people that are just vehement about, no, it doesn't. You know, you're just talking voodoo. But it just, the reason why I, I dove into it with this, this video is because when I sit and have a conversation with folks and I provide some, well, whether it's biological background or information to it, or even if I just put it in context with you and I and, and how we are in our conversations and, and communication, like you said, it really opens people's eyes to going, well, wait a minute. No, maybe it does matter. Now, granted, I know that there's other people out there that talk about you know, vocalizations and communication and what certain things mean. And I even say right in the video, listen, I know that there's other people out there that say that, that, that talk about this stuff. And quite honestly, I understand, you know, some folks look at it and say, oh, I don't agree with that. Well, I don't agree with a lot of what some of these other folks are talking about either. I understand that. But like we talked about in the last one, that's why I have the video of the elk doing what I'm talking about in the elk module. It's not me flapping my gums. It's the elk themselves doing it. You can see their body language. You can you can hear them. You can see the outcome of that interaction. But for me, absolutely it matters. If you want to be more successful, yes, it absolutely matters. And from your background of being a wildlife biologist, I mean, you are an avid archery elk hunter. And you are an avid elk caller. You do lots of seminars all over all over the Southwest. But what I find interesting about the elk module is the fact 
that it seems that you bring it all the way back full circle to the biology aspect of here is a cow making an assembly mew. This is what it sounds like. And it's like, oh, you know, now I kind of understand. I hear that all the time. But in her cadence and in her tone, this is what she's inferring when a lot of people, including myself, just hear a cow call and go, that's a cow call. Yeah. yeah. You you are taking it a whole step and whole dynamic, whole different level of trying to understand the actual communications because within those communications, the tone and the sound of every cow is going to be different, but maybe the, the, the number of times she calls or that's what intrigues me. Structure. It's not, it's, it's structure. There's, it's not just, you know, you and I could sit there and you could say, you know, do it like this three times and I'm going to sound different than you, but we could both achieve the same results yes. because all cows sound different. Yes. Yes. And, and that's it. The structure of the vocalization, you know, I talk about the long mule, long mule, you, you, you or, or excuse me, the like, well, shoot, there's so many things you just said that just that have my, <laughs> my, my brain racing. So for instance, like the, uh, the lost mule, if you, if we talk about the lost mule, and, you know, you hold or you emphasize that high note and you come off on the low note, you know, very quickly. It does not matter if you're, you're very, very super, super high or you're, you're a medium pitch or you're, you know, kind of a lower pitch. If you're holding the higher note and then falling, that structure of that vocalization is going to relay a certain meaning. Or if we talk about the assembly mute, which is a, the mere opposite of that, you know, you're talking very, very short on the high note. Did you drag out that low note, all right? That structure of the vocalization, it doesn't matter if I'm using a mouth, well, mouth diaphragm doesn't really lend itself to a, a assembly mute, but if I'm using, say, an open read style call, it, I can do it on a single read, I can do it on a double read, I can do it with a tone converter, I can do it muffled in my hand. It doesn't matter what it ultimately sounds like is from a, from a standpoint of a sound quality or pitch or anything like that, but if the structure is the same, then that vocalization is going to mean the same. And what you, what really got my brain racing is you talk about bringing it full circle. And I think, and I talk about that in this YouTube video. If, if folks want to check it out, it's, they can either go to our YouTube channel and it'll be right there at the top. And that's just row hunting resources uh, in the YouTube channel. But it's mastering your elk calling. Doesn't really matter if you know what you're saying. And so, in there, I talk about that exact fact of bringing it full circle. And, and for me, what that means is there are a lot of folks that either take all of their learning or base all of their conclusions on what they're hearing and what they see with elk, all from essentially September. They go elk hunting. They, in, they engage elk. They hear things, they see things, and that's how they 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 make their their conclusion. Well, I, in a, in a bunch of my different videos, I talk about you know correlation is not necessarily causation. Just because you see something happen or hear something happen at at a certain time does not mean two things are related. So, but it's very easy, I think, to hear it and see a reaction and go, "That's what caused that." Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely, yeah. and I talk about that in depth in um, 
I've got a, that. Well, you've watched it, the the series, understanding bull vocalizations and communications, uh, communication. When I talk about the glunk, the glunk, yes. I, the glunk, I think is probably the most misunderstood vocalization that a bull elk can do. And it really was not until Kelly and I sat, and Kelly's the one that really I think she discovered it. Really teased it out. We sat there. We've got I don't know how many hours of, of video, and you. Just, Bulls glunk, 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 you know, glunking. And it wasn't until she was going through them, she was like, wait a minute. I think it means this. And, and we started looking at it, and she, I'm like, what? yeah. And so we started going back through and pulling all of our video and trying to, and, and we talk about, you know, you can never prove a behavioral theory or a vocalization theory to be correct. The only thing that you can do is disprove it, all right? And it, I talk about that in depth on some of the videos. But regardless... We went back through and tried to disprove all the other things that we had ever heard or believed about a glunk, and we started just knocking them out of the water. We're like, nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it. Nope, that's not it, because there were so many inconsistencies. But when it all boiled down to it, we realized, wait a minute, no, it's very, very simple. But it still, it still relates to all these other things, but it it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, glunk people say, oh, it attracts cows. Oh, it's for keeping cows. Oh, it's for, you know, asserting dominance. Oh, it's for imprinting on cows. It's a, nope, nope, nope. It means stay. It means stay. And I and we can we can sit there and I can show you that repeatedly and it works every single time. And so, yes, what you're saying is when you go out in, in the field and you see I, I make a call, a bull responds and he runs me over. Well, it's easy to say, oh, okay, well, that call must mean this, and, and that's what he wanted. The other, I mean, it, it's kind of like fishing, and, and you, you throw a cast out with one fly, and you get a fish. You're like, okay, that's what they want. Well, maybe that's what just that one there wanted. There you go. It doesn't necessarily mean that that's what every fish wants. There you go. And so what when you said full circle, what it means to me is there are so many variables in September. When, when you throw testosterone and raging estrogen in the cows, going crazy with the, those reproductive hormones going on, that throws such a wild card in the mix. I mean, you've got, you know, the differences in the cows, you've got difference in the bulls, you have sex ratio, age class, hunter pressure, environmental factors. There's so many variables that you cannot control or even remotely account for. What I did is I said, okay, fine, I'm going to eliminate all that. Skip September. I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore end of August. I'm going to ignore September, and I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore October. What do elk do in December? What do they do in January? What do they do in March, June, July? What are they doing the entire rest of the year? And can we tease out what's going on then? There's at those times of year you don't have hunting pressure. The the elk are a lot more relaxed. You have uh, there's no, you know, reproductive hormones going, you know, that are going to throw anything. When you go kind of to that off season, if you will, and start really spending time teasing out with video and audio, just start teasing out vocalizations and communication, then you start to see that, wait a minute, there are set vocalizations that mean very, very specific things that always, always, always have the exact same uh, expectation, uh, result, whether it elicits a response or whether it elicits an action from another animal, they are 
consistent. Well, if they're consistent in November, as they are in January, as they are in July, then why wouldn't they be consistent in September? And now you can go from the point of, I don't really, you know, I throw something out there in this case, and a bull runs me over. I go to the next ridge, I do the exact same call, and not only do I get ignored, the elk just turn around and leave and walk away. So that's why it matters. To, well, I yeah. I mean, and I'll even go beyond <laughs> that from a standpoint, okay, well, maybe we don't like what, you know, you make a vocalization. They didn't like what they heard, you know, and I talk about, you know, they didn't like what you were selling. I'll give an example of a guy in a, in a produce department of a grocery store. You know, if, if somebody jumps up on their produce stand and starts yelling pencils and automobiles and, and boot laces and winter jackets, you know, yeah, it, it makes sense that we all understand that those words don't go together and, and they don't make sense. But more importantly, does it change our behavior? And so in some cases, we go out into the field. And, and this is, I think, really especially true when we're dealing with over-the-counter units on heavily hunted public ground where there's a lot of people calling and the elk are generally a little bit more wary anyway. And you've got a, you know, what we talked about before where you got those bull, you know, say down in your area where you got so many stinking bulls that, I mean, heck, you're almost tripping over bulls in some cases, whereas in some of the areas in, in you know, whether it's Idaho, Colorado, New Mexico, wherever, Wyoming, where you've got some of these other units where you might have 10 bulls per 100 cows or 15 bulls per 100 cows. You don't have that many bulls out there. So when you're out there uh, and you start calling, yes, we're trying to get them to do what we want them to do with our vocalization. We want to be attractive. We want to get them to come in. But if we vocalize with something and they just don't like what we're saying, well, if they don't like what we're saying simply because they're not interested in it. So for instance, if, if I gave them a vocalization and that vocalization was dead on accurate within the context of, of where I was calling from and the context of what I was saying to that animal, and that animal is like, no, I'm not interested in, in coming over to you. Well, that's fine. But if it all makes sense, then the animal just goes back to doing whatever it is he's doing. And he just continues on his way. He does not change his behavior. And I can back out. I can regroup, I can come back in and work him that afternoon. If that doesn't work, I can back out, I can come back, I can work him the next morning, and I can figure out what strategy is needed to get that animal to work, but I don't change his behavior. Whereas some of us go out there and we just start throwing stuff out there and hoping to see kind of what sticks. Well, if the animal does not like what we're selling, that's fine, but if we stand out too badly... Or if we call in such a manner to where they're like, wait a minute, that's not right. You can actually not only have that animal not respond favorably to your calling, but in, in fact, turn and leave or just absolutely modify their behavior. So now it didn't work. Uh, you know, my calling strategy didn't work on this animal, you know, this morning. So I, I back out and I leave and I come back that evening and I hope to work that animal again. And nope, he's gone. He's, he's up and over the ridge and he left. Now I've got to go find another elk. Right. So, yeah. So you've totally blown you've blown your opportunity yeah. and not even have the opportunity to go back and and re-engage with him. You've you've screwed the pooch in essence and he's gone. Exactly. And and it, you know, obviously and I I kind of just, you know, you know this. Um, you know, this day and age the 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 fitness, the the hunter athlete and the the super fitness uh minded athlete 
or Hunter, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, having your fitness to be the, the ultimate level. So that way you can go back farther and, and hunt harder and hunt longer and, and cover more ground. And well, okay, that's, and, and quite honestly, I think a lot of that is a symptom of the fact that, you know, people are not capitalizing on the animals as they run into them. So they have to, you know, run this ridge to that ridge, that ridge, to that ridge, always looking for the next elk, trying to find another elk that's willing to play their game. So instead of more efficiently being able to communicate and work the different animals, the mindset is the better shape that I'm in, the more country that I can cover, which means I don't have to be near as efficient and effective with my calling and with my setups, and I'm just going to run them down. I'm going to I'm going to run them down, and I'm going to find I'm going to at some point stumble into an elk that is willing to work and do what I want, you know, willing to come to my call. Yes, I I truly believe that. I and so some it's, people it's have different, said it, and some people have actually said it. And so it's different than someone saying, I'm going to live and die by the bugle. This is more of a, I'm going to just not learn why I need to improve my hunting skill of communicating with the animals and knowing behaviorally what they're doing. I'm going to take that weakness and try and be as in good a shape as I can to just try and run into as many elk as I can. And one of them's going to end up biting. Yes. And, and I know, and Jay, I'm telling you right now, I know darn well that what we're talking about right now in our belief structure or my, let's just, I'm not even going to throw it on you. I'm going to just, I'll own it. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll own it. it. I mean, I'll see, I'll, I will own it because this is truly what I believe. I see it all the time. And I talk to so many people that yes, they, you know, they don't, their, their toolbox, if you will, of, of knowledge and, and, of, you know, skill set and, and what they can do with their calls is, is limited. And so literally they, that is what they are left with is I, you know, and I, I do, I, in the video, I give an example. I'm like, okay, we go into this basin. We're in this long Valley. There are 10 elk in this Valley. We might not know that to start out, but the fact remains is yes, there are 10 elk in this Valley. Some of us go out there and we just call and we hope that something sticks. And what we're hoping to do is run that valley at some point and hope that we hope, hope that we find the one bull in the valley that's willing to play our game. Whereas if I, uh, from, from my belief set and what I talk about is I want to go into that same valley and be able to work every single one of those bulls. If I come to that first bull and I find out, oh, he has cows, so I have to, you know, work him a certain way. Well, now I can. If I go to the next bull and find out, oh, he's off on his own and he's a, a mature bull, okay, I can work him. I go to the next bull. Oh, it's a younger bull off on his own. He just got ran out from, you know, this other group. He's really call shy. He's a little nervous. Well, that's fine. I know how to work him. I can go into that valley and I can work all 10 bulls without having to run that whole stinking system hoping to find that one animal. Because the, the thing that always, the one common denominator, I guess it, people would, still, would not still be going to elk calling seminars if people were having extreme success with elk, you know, with what they're getting from elk calling seminars. People are, fi- are going out in the field each year. They're trying new stuff. They're, they're doing whatever they can do but they're not getting success with it. And so 
when, especially if you're a beginning hunter, if you're not getting success, and, it, and you've got an, I, I would have to think that you would agree with this, especially from a fishing standpoint. If you are not seeing success from what you are doing, your confidence level just starts to nosedive. And if you are out in the field, you know, you just hiked in four miles with a heavy backpack to get into where you think the elk should be. You're tired, you're sore now, you're into camp, you start hunting, and after a couple days, you're either not finding the elk or the elk just aren't working or they're not doing what you want them to do. Your confidence level just starts hitting the, just taking a nosedive to where it's going to be harder for you to get up in the morning and get out of that sleeping bag. It's going to be harder for you to stay out all day if you need to. It's going to be harder to convince yourself, no, I need to stay out here until dark and, you know, maybe hike back to camp in the pitch black. You know, it, it starts to wear on your psychological uh, wherewithal, if you will. And so, no, if, if you take the next step to learn, in my opinion, say, I, I want to know behavior. I want to know what these vocalizations mean. And I want to know how I'm supposed to use how the elk use them, not how I'm supposed to use them, how the elk use them. Then it right from the get-go, you have more confidence because I've already seen an elk. I've seen six videos of elk doing this vocalization and I've seen six results of that vocalization. The, I know for a fact the elk say this, and I know for a fact this is what they perceive, and this is what they are expecting. So now, not only am I more confident, the likelihood of you actually having a favorable interaction when you do call goes through the roof to where now your confidence is a lot better and your effectiveness and your efficiency goes up a lot better as well. I've got a couple comments to talk about what you're just saying. And one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because of the exact reason you're talking about. I am a student of the game uh, in fishing and golf and hunting and, you know, you break hunting down, turkey hunting, elk hunting, deer hunting, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I played golf, played college golf, played in high school. Uh, was a student of the game of golf. Uh, I've loved fishing ever since I was a little kid. I am a student of the game. A, a couple comments I would have is I, it, I can't understand l logic of some people that will spend you know $100 a month on supplements and new gym memberships and you know all the different things. While they are those are great things. They totally neglect and disregard trying to improve one of the main fundamental hunting skills, which is being able to learn and uh, a behavior of the animal you're hunting and be able to communicate with that animal. Okay, so I started this podcast because I am a student of every game that I play. I want to know everything that I possibly can. I am an analytical person, but I believe that the more that I can learn, the better off I will be. I am the first one to ask a guide, a fly fishing guide in a boat next to me when we're sitting at the takeout, how was your day? How'd you do? I'm trying to learn. I'm not trying to, to pick their brain and, and be a snob. And I'm trying to learn. I'm trying to say, man, I, I'll just say I flat between 10 and 2. I struggled. I, I couldn't figure out what those fish are doing. Some guy says, oh, they're on, you know, um, BWO emergers or they're doing this. And I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't, you yeah. know, 
So the reason I started this podcast is I figured that with my analytical mind uh, and my inquisitive mind and wanting to be a student of the game that I could have great guests on like yourself and I could have the conversation to learn myself but also make it in an engaging, entertaining way, informational way that people could get something out of it. Um, And, you know, that's where... You know, I've elk hunted for a long time, and I would say I I am as confident in my elk hunting and elk calling ability as probably anybody else out there, and and the results that I've gotten over the years have been, you know, great and 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 very good. But guess what? I learn every day, and that's why when I found Row Hunting Resources Elk Module, it like opened up a whole new world because. I, I had spent so much time, you know, I, I think this year will be 20, 20 years uh, taking the entire month of September off and, and, and listening to elk and videoing elk. And, but what I, the older I get, the more I understand, the less I know. Yeah, Meaning yeah. I, I have a lot to learn and I feel like I'm as a proficient elk guide and elk hunter is probably, you know, anyone out there. But one thing that I never really understand is there's a lot of guides and there's a lot of hunters out there that hunt every year and they don't know how to call. They don't know how to call well and they don't even try. Yeah. It, and yeah. Yeah. Keep going. Keep and, going. I, I'm with you. And, and so, you know, from, you know, talking about the fitness, I, I, I've gotten several emails because in these podcast episodes, I guess I have been critical of those that are, uh, you know, into extreme fitness. One of the things I'd like to say is it's not that I'm against extreme fitness. It's that I'm against why not spending some of that time learning how to call and communicate with the animals that you're hunting. And I'm not picking on any one particular person. I've just had enough feedback from people that they just don't get it. Well, and just because you can run six ridges over does not mean you can kill an elk. Now, if you can communicate very well and know what the animal's behavior and what to say at the right time and run six ridges over and, you know, do 10,000 vertical feet in a the morning, then you're that much better. Well, but it, it seems they totally disregard one and, and, and go full steam in the other. And you go, well, have you practiced your elk calling? Or have you learned what those elk are saying? You know, you spend, you use the J. Scott, you know, JSO podcast promo code or J. Scott Outdoors, whatever the promo code is with Row Hunting Resources, you get the elk module for 20 bucks. Yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, they'll go spend hundreds on, you know, a a new road bike and a new, all this stuff to get in shape, but they won't spend 20 bucks. And I'm not saying they don't because you have a lot of members, but. You know the logic. I just don't understand. Because in Jay, it, it, I don't want to shut you down, but I mean the, the reason being, I think, is because two two things. Number one, um, if you spend money, you just bought something tangible. I I can hold it. I, I you know I I have a new uh, I've got you know I've got new camo. I've got new clothes. I've got a new bow. I've got you know whatever. I I've got something new. It's something tangible. It's something that I've done that I can show a my that that I have done different from last year. And the fitness thing I think is the, is very similar in the fact that 
if I'm taking supplements and I'm running and biking and hiking and everything else, that yes, I can, I tangibly can feel I'm better. I, I can tangibly measure the fact that I can hike farther now and I can run better and I feel better. So now I can cover more ground. That is a tangible, real thing that you can grasp or at least wrap your head around. The problem is knowledge, not so much. You don't know you can you can spend all the time in you in the world you want trying to gain knowledge, but you do not know if you have that knowledge until you test it. And so it is un, it's intangible until the moment of truth. And so if you don't have the confidence, everything up to you up to that point has has deteriorated your confidence in calling or your confidence in ability of working animals, you don't have the confidence to actually put the material in play. A couple great examples. One was an Elk Mod member. He, he subscribed. He had seen one of my seminars. He I think it was a seminar guy. He subscribed. Uh, in the in the Elk Mod, I talk about you know well we talked about the doorway, the doorway principle. All right, and I talked about the see you first, hear you second, smell you third. Well, he went out in the field, learned all that stuff, but in the back of his mind. He was like, mm, I don't know. And so he did everything absolutely perfect. But then he was like, I second-guessed myself, and I stuck a decoy out. And he stuck the decoy out, but he, again, it wasn't by any, I mean, he just, it was just kind of a last minute, I'll just throw it here and, and see if that helps. Well, the elk came right around. The elk did exactly what I said it was going to do, what the behavior said it was going to do. Everything was right smack dab down the line until that bull stepped around and saw that decoy, and the bull stopped and stared at the decoy, just like we talk about. And the bull turned and never gave the guy a shot, only because the bull stopped when he saw the decoy. And, he, and the guy wrote, he's like, you know what? Ditch the decoy, work the setup. Now, I'm not ditching, I'm not... I'm not poo-pooing decoys. I use them, and I still have them, and, we, and I talk about that. However, in the wrong situation, it can be a detriment. In this case, the point I'm making is he, he learned all the information, but he doubted. He just he was like, I don't know. I, I, I don't know, and so he just kind of hedged his bets. And I understand why people doubt because, again, there are other folks out there talking about stuff, and – even you and I, logically, we, we listen to some of these other folks and we're like, eh, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense. Well, again, like we talk about, that's why I put the elk in, you know, that I'm, I'm videoing elk doing it. So you're not listening to me. But I'm telling you. What you're saying is don't take my yes. word for it. Take the elk's word yes, for it. Yes, exactly. And, and what you said there with the, with the fitness, I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I – I'll tell you right now, I am not in shape. I, I'm not near in shape that I need to be. So I, I'm not going to criticize those guys that are, are in shape because I remember when I was in shape, it made my hunt a heck of a lot more enjoyable. However, not only is it – I mean, yes, if you can run three ridges and find an elk that's playing your game, that's fine. But another thing that we talk about or I've talked about before is the fact that my experience and where my, I guess the genesis, if you will, the, the core fundamental start of all of my philosophy came from the fact that I am a solo hunter. I have to call the elk myself to me to kill. And then more importantly, I hunt on some very, very, or have hunted on some very, very tough public ground that was heavily, heavily hunted. And literally I was in college at the time 
And I would have, I would leave Friday night. I would get in camp at 11 o'clock at night or at the trailhead 11 o'clock at night, hike in about two, three in the morning. And then I would have Saturday to hunt and Sunday morning. That's it. And so I had to figure out how to be a lot more effective and a lot more efficient. And what I see today is people not focusing on efficiency, but rather focusing on their physical abilities. Not only are they just running past a lot of elk, but unfortunately, some of these guys, because they just want to run and gun and they want to find a, an elk that will play their game, they're just burning through habitat, negatively impacting the elk along the way. And so for guys like me, guy, you know, new hunters, people out there with kids, okay, they cannot go five ridges over. They have this ridge. But now you just burn through this ridge and you created such a disturbance that now you just made it tough or even tougher for everybody else that's down there. Now, granted, I understand people are like, well, I don't care. I'm going to get my elk, and I, that's, that's, that's my business. Well, that's fine. But like we talked about last episode, I would much rather deal with 10 guys in the field in, in the same valley that know what they're doing than one or two guys that don't because the, right. the impact is that much greater. And I've got to believe for you with a, as being a guide, when you have some of these people that drew a, a, a tag that took them 20 years to draw, I mean, my gosh. I mean, the impact there has got to be – the stress level has got to be huge. Because Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the things – you know, one of the reasons why I only do 14-day hunts, so our archery season in Arizona is 14 days, and the only – the reason that I only do 14-day hunts is I recognize that, one, the tags are hard to come by and they've waited a long time to draw that tag, and two, that th they need to make the most of their time and they don't need to be limited by a seven-day hunt. In my opinion, on limited draw hunts, guys that book a seven-day hunt are making a very big mistake because in Arizona, speaking specifically, you are going to get some hunts that are interrupted by people. You're going to get some hunts that are interrupted by lightning storm or by whatever kind of, you know, downpour rain or what happened, you know, or, uh, you, you know, something happens and your truck breaks down or there's going to be outside influences that are going to ruin some sessions of your hunt. So I think that's why it's important to do 14-day hunts and to try and reduce the stress level knowing that, you know, with that amount of time, you have basically, I call them 28 sessions, a morning and an evening, because I don't hunt much during the day unless it's really peak rut. Um, and it, it just gives them a little bit of sense of, okay, we can get this done. And, you know, we try and be efficient with all of our setups, with all of our mornings and our evenings. Um, but, yeah, I mean, efficiency being a student of the game like I am and, and learning every single time I go out and learning from, you know, guys like you and, 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 and others, I, you know, I can pick something up and become more efficient by learning. And I think um, I'm hoping that the younger generation that is getting into the sport with all of the influences that we have to be, you know, macho and fit, half of that I think is a young man's mentality to you know, be the fittest guy out there. And that is fantastic. And I would say when I was 22 years old, I might have been in the same category. As I get older, I realize that 
every year that I get older, I'm going to have to work harder, one, to be in shape. But number two, I realize that being more effective and efficient is is paramount. It, it's It's more important than being able to go 36 miles in one day. Being able to work that specific elk and be efficient with that elk, the older I get is more important to me. I, you know, and, and I'm I'm kind of sitting here chuckling to myself. I, for me, I don't want people to think that I'm some just grumpy old man. You know? <laughs> <laughs> me too, because <laughs> I'm because I'm not. It's just I. It, it's not by all means. It's not. I just I've talked to so many so many hunters, and you know, it's it's not that we're talking about these huge revelatory, you know, these ooh, earth shattering things. It's sometimes it's just one little thing that somebody didn't think about and say, you know, again, the doorway principle or the see you first principle or, or whether it's, you know, the meaning of, of a certain vocalization or whatnot. It just, people are like, Oh, it's the light bulb that goes off. You know, I, one of the, your, one of your listeners signed up from the last um, podcast. And I'm just going to, I'm not going to give his name. I'm not going to, I'll just read what he said. And he goes, I spent, and it's an email and I, I spend hunting or I spent a lot of time hunting and guiding elk hunters in Arizona. I believe you have some of the best content on the web. It's really cool. And I wish I would have found this about 15 years ago. And that is probably the most common statement I hear from. Well, and that's the revolution that I found uh, the, the, the epiphany of, you know, oh my gosh, Nobody else is explaining this in this type of fashion, and so I can agree with his sentiment. I, I totally agree with that email. I mean, that's the way I felt when I found it. Whether or not you are a student of, you know, a lover of the game or a student of the game, like you said, like, and I, I kind of agree with that. I, I'm the same way. Whether you're that type of person or whether you're just starting out or whether you're just somebody that just is not happy with the level of, of consistency that they're getting – you know, if you spend a little time working on your efficiency in what you what you're doing, it is going to blow the doors wide open on your success level and your confidence level and your enjoyment out in the field. And quite honestly, well, it, I mean, that just is end of that. I mean, it just the, the people when when you sit there and you go, I heard a bull, I can go in and I can call him and call him in. I mean. I, it's it's just it's very it's very fun for me to listen to folks that come back and they go oh my gosh you know there's this bull I did this 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 I walked in I gave him that targeted strategy and boom put him in my lap and it wasn't a bull that I wanted so I went to the next bull and this is public ground and then, oh, I went to the next bull and oh it was a great six by boom we killed that one and then my buddy killed that one and oh my gosh then we had to figure out how to get him out and about you know that's the type of enjoyment that I you know. I, I really do. I really enjoy hearing that from folks. So I don't. I don't want people thinking I'm just a grumpy old man. That you know, I it just I, I enjoy people being successful, and I think that they can be successful fairly easily if they just tweak a couple of little things that they think or how they or what they know and how they implement some of that knowledge. Yeah, and I'm I am absolutely right there with you, and and you know. I have some phenomenal support and, and the listeners are, you know, they support the podcast and support what I'm doing unbelievably. Um, and, and, you know, there's a few probably out there that are thinking I'm going to send Jay an email as soon as this is over and tell him, you know, about, 
you know, you need to be in fit. And I am not arguing that you don't need to be fit. That So don't, please don't, understand I what say, Chris and I are both saying is we're just talking about being more of a student of the game and being more efficient and being able to, to understand animal behavior and to be able to communicate with the animals. In my mind, being older than I was 20 years ago, I understand, in my opinion, that is more important now. And I wish 20 years ago I would have, you know, been more efficient. Well, I tell you, I tell you what, we could, we could just use this. We've all seen, whether it's a Facebook meme or we've heard people talk about, you know, you'll, you'll see some guy with a big upper, bo- you know, upper body, big arms, big chest, and these skinny little chicken legs. And it says, you know, you know never forget leg day. You know, never skip leg day. You know, yeah. well, okay, I tell you what, if you – that's fine. Be fitness. Do do that. Absolutely be fit. However, don't forget brain day. You know, don't right. forget to work that muscle or that gray matter as well. Don't forget to work the brain because that is going to be, you know, and we joked about it, the fact that, you know, that's fine. You can get to the, the top of the mountain in record time. You stand on the top of the ridge and then it's a now what? Okay, yeah, you got there. That's fine. Now what? All right. So don't skip meanwhile, rain day. Meanwhile, the old guy comes saunering up and finally gets up there and makes three calls and the elk's standing at 10 yards and he whacks them and it's like, oh, okay, now I get it. Or or more worse yet, the guy kills it at quarter mile from the trailhead and he's already back in his truck. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's all great stuff. And t- to be quite honest with you, um. I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the moon phase. I originally we were going to talk about moon phase and its effect on the rut, and um, uh, I I am of the opinion that uh, the moon phase, from a behavioral standpoint, as it affects the rut, what I can tell you is what I've noticed in full moon situations it seems as though the elk rut like crazy at night when we're not obviously allowed to hunt them they go to their beds early they head to the thick country early and uh they are less vocal and such during the day because they've been partying all night i noticed i'm looking at the 2015 uh september uh map here and it looks like the full moon is on the uh, 28th of September, and it looks like the new moon is on the 14th. Well, the way that that affects the Arizona archery elk hunt, most hunts in Arizona start on September 11th on a Friday, and they go till uh, September 24th. And then the early rifle hunt is the 25th, then through the 2nd, uh, or excuse me, October 1st, a Thursday. So that full moon is going to fall right during most of the early rifle hunts in Arizona. Um, I'm curious from a wildlife biology standpoint what you feel uh, the full moon has to do with the rut. All right, well, before I dive into that, again, I'm laughing because I think after this, we just might as well dive into which is the best broadhead to use because <laughs> why, why don't we just cover the most controversial there you go. Let, topic? Let's, let's just stack all the controversial discussions in one. Yeah, that is funny. Well, all right, I'm going to, before I give you my opinion, I want you to go back to what you just said. 
right? Now, I may or may not agree with anything that you, or what you just said here, but you said, if I heard you correctly, that in paraphrasing, that when you see the full moon, that they're rutting like crazy. Correct. And then you went down the list of what you see to as a, as that, that's correlated with it. You know, they're they're bugling at night. They're going to the bed early. They're you know they're not as vocal during the day, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Right. And then and conversely, during let's say mid September when it's dark, I see them bugling less at night and bugling much more during the day and much more active during the day so in huntable hours i prefer to hunt in darker moons if the rut has already started okay well and that and that right there i think is the is the the crux of the controversy because you hear people talking all the time about moon phase and the rut but then they and, and when they say rut there's People are talking about, in my opinion, talk about apples and oranges. Some people are talking about the rut, and they're actually talking about estrus cycling. But then other people are talking about, quote-unquote, the rut, and what they're talking about is the observed behavior and activity of the elk that they're seeing out there. And again, this is where we go back to correlation is not necessarily causation. They link the two and say, well, because I hear a lot of bugling, because I see a lot of activity, and I see a behavior change, that must mean, therefore, then that the, the the estrus cycling is is has changed. If it changed with the full moon, then it must have changed with the estrus cycling. Therefore, the full moon affects the estrus cycling, and there is zero scientific data to suggest that. Now, I'll just throw I'll just throw <laughs> that out there because there's there's people that have. I mean, I'm looking at the hold up. I'm 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 holding it in my hand. I've I've got it. It's, here's the book. It's the book in my hand, written by Bernie Taylor. And I don't mind giving this book out because I think it's bunk. But it's it's called Biological Time. And in this book was written uh, basically showing all these correlations with you know moon phase and serotonin levels and melatonin levels and hormone changes, blah 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 blah, blah and enzyme secretions and such from fish and from I mean, all sorts of stuff. The problem is, as far as I know, and I just recently looked up some of this stuff and I haven't seen any change, and as far as I know, no one has ever been able to, to show any either medical or, or concrete biological, physiological uh, effect of moon phase on reproductive cycling of asterisks. Now, however, I can show you, and I've got that, you know, you saw it, that entire video series on rethinking the rut. Uh, there's, a, there's a whole pile of factors that affect estrus cycling in cows. None of it has to do with moon phase. And so I will agree with you on everything that you said about what you've seen around a full moon period, or what I, cla I, I classify it as a bright moon period, because you know that you get that last half as the... As the Basically those seven days. There you go. Because, yeah. you know, the three or four days before a full moon is it's stinking bright, and then three or four days after a, a full moon is stinking bright. So, I mean, it's a bright moon 
phase. Right. So, yeah, I I will agree with most of what you said as far as the what I observe. Now, I will also say, however, that during a bright moon phase, sometimes that 10 o'clock to 2 o'clock time period in the middle of the day is yeah. absolutely awesome because those elk yes they've they've gone they you know they're out all night they're feeding all night they've got full bellies now when it comes you know the, you know the morning starts creeping in the daylight starts they don't have to be out there as long and so they go to bed they typically what i have observed as well is that they go to bed early well their stomach them processing and going through their rumen contents does not change with the moon cycling so it takes them 4 to 5 hours to go through that the you know a full gut so if they go to bed early they get hungry early and which usually means at about 10 11 12 1 2 o'clock, somewhere in there they start getting restless and so they start getting up and if they feel safe and and comfortable and and well if they feel safe especially you know what you're talking about down in your area i mean you've got so many you know me bulls down there that you'll get bulls in the middle of the day they start getting restless and they'll they'll come to a call absolutely. So I will agree that I, I think the manifestation of behavior changes can happen with a with a full moon, but no, I do not believe anything really, really happens with estrus cycling. I hunt coos whitetail a lot and I can tell you that and I'll bring this full circle, but um during a full moon, during those bright seven days even though we get out there before light and we're up on our point before it gets light, the activity level in a, in those seven bright days, and especially the two or three around really full type of moon, bright moon, um, you very rarely see any activity for the first three hours and the last three hours of the day. If, if, if I just had to choose, you know, a four hour period to go glass coos whitetail during a full moon phase, I would literally show up about 10 o'clock and glass from 10 to 2. So it makes total sense that the elk are up all night, just like the coos deer, rutting around, feeding, doing their thing because they can see. And they go to bed early and four or five hours later, you know, during the day, they decide, okay, I've laid down. Now I'm going to get up. I'm going to feed a little bit. And that's that that makes total sense. And um, obviously, hunting middle of the day, you just got to be careful of the wind. You know, I mean, absolutely. the wind's swirling around. Now, I will say that I believe there are there is some even in the literature, in scientific literature, there is anecdotal evidence and some weak evidence to suggest that increased moonlight can increase the light that penetrates the eye and it, it can, I won't say it can, there's again, if there's anecdotal <laughs> evidence that suggests that it might affect say serotonin levels or melatonin levels and it might affect the, I don't know how to say it, maybe the excitability, what, how I've, how I've expressed it in the past is you can see a heightened level of activity around whatever cycle that they are in. So 
yes. You know, obviously you look at a bright moon phase at night. Well, now it's nighttime. They're, they feel extremely safe. All right. At night, they feel extremely safe because they have better eyesight than most. Pre- and realistically for us, you know, the guys that are listening to this, guys and gals listening to us, you know, in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, that have wolves and grizzlies, skip this section. But most of us, we don't have places where elk really have to deal with predators that bad. Yeah, we've got mountain lions. Yeah, we've got black bears. Yeah, we've got coyotes. But eh, okay. So the number one predator for elk, especially in the fall, is going to be humans, period. And when we're dealing with, with, with fall hunting season, you know that there's a lot of human scent floating around in the air, and it puts them on edge. Well, at night, you know, typically the thermals are different. The, you know, most people leave the field, so there's a lot less scent floating around. They feel a heck of a lot more safe to be out and about. So, yes, they're going to be more apt to be out all night in a bright moon phase. But there's some evidence that suggests that maybe there is a little bit of a hormone or, or an enzyme or whatever secretion in the brain that can excite that behavior. And so if they were going to be bugling anyway, well, in a bright moon phase, maybe they're going to be more aggressive in their bugling or more intense in their bugling or more frequent in their bugling. If they're going to be moving from their pre-rut area to the rutting area, doing that pre-rut move, well, maybe rather than you know a little bit of, of movement activity during this time period, if it occurs during under a during if that time period that they behaviorally naturally want to do it based on photo period, if that time period happens, just so happens to fall under a bright moon phase, well, you can see increased movement or further movement or more excited movement or whatever. So there are folks that say, and I kind of believe this, that under a bright moon phase, you can see heightened activity what surrounding whatever behavioral cycle that they happen to be in. Makes sense? Well, and I... Yeah, I mean, and I also see, you know, during bright moon days, uh, or excuse me, bright moon nights is obviously in Arizona, speaking, you know, specifically Arizona, um, congregation areas, it just seems in full moons, you know, they congregate more, they get together more, that's probably due to the more movement, which means they, they run around more, they chase each other, they're, you know, trying to breed, they're trying to carry on, which probably is the reason why they're going to bed early. You know, it, it, it all has a chain reaction. Um, I would ask you, in from, from everything you just said, tactically, are there things that you would do differently, uh, archery elk hunting, in a bright moon phase rather than a dark moon face. And I mean, ob- the obvious one I can think of is making sure you're out there uh, at those prime times when they're going to be most active and recognize what they may or may not be doing because of being out all night partying with their buddies. Yep, absolutely. Well, the, the number one thing, well, I guess there's not a number one thing. Let me just list them. Number one, I will spend time at night. I mean, out at night listening. And just where where are where do they you know? And I will stay out all night long. I happen to to work best at night anyway. I'm kind of a night owl anyway, so it doesn't really bother me. But while everybody else is heading back to camp and, and snuggling in their sleeping bags, I'm up there on the ridge going, okay, who sounds off first and where? Where do they sound off? Okay, and then who else? Then who else? 
Now where are they going? Where are they moving? How are they traveling? Okay, so I know that that's where they were bedded. Now that's where they're feeding. Okay, I know where they're traveling. So I will stay out at night and listen and, and really figure out what movement is, is going on out there because then the flip side of that is the next morning, and sometimes I'll just make my way over to these spots at night. Just in the pitch black, I'll walk right around the elk. Make sure my wind is not blowing down into them, but I will walk right around the elk and I will literally go to where they kicked off that night and get in there first because I know that in the morning where most of us or most folks are, are getting out of their sleeping bag and they're, you know, they're walking down the trail or they're walking over the ridge and they, and they go, okay, now where do I need to start? Well, at that time, if you've got a little sliver of turquoise or pink in the horizon, you're already behind them. And so they're already headed to their bedding area or they're right smack dab in their bedding area. What I will do at that time, typically the wind currents are going to still be consistent and favorable. I'll use that night and I'll work my way over there and I'll just get into those areas where they're headed, those bedding areas way earlier than they do. And I might, I mean, literally where, you know, on a north quote unquote, a dark moon phase, um, the elk are still out in their meadow feeding and they've got to walk a half mile to their bedding area well, during a bright moon phase, they're already at their bedding area. So rather than me spending my time at that, that feeding area in that meadow, I'm going to already be in their bedding area. And then the other, the other thing, too, is I just watch that wind all morning long. And if I can, if, the, if for some reason the wind is consistent, if I can hunt midday, I absolutely hunt midday. And then the last thing is I really do pay attention uh, and you'll, you should figure it out pretty quick and it can change before, you know, if you're, if you're dealing with a rising moon versus a setting moon, you know, a rising moon, it is brighter during sunset or excuse me, it is brighter after sunset all night long than a setting moon. Cause as the, as the moon starts to set and it goes past, uh, it's full. That means that moon sets earlier too. So depending on where that moon is, you might see in some areas, well, the mornings are epic, but the evenings absolutely are horrid. They, there's just nothing going on. Well, if that's the case, then I will just sh shift my hunting activity to capitalize on when they're moving, where they're moving. And if I need to sleep and catch up on sleep, I'll just do it when they're not active. Yeah, that's a great point. And one thing I will say, too, that, that uh, Dar and I have done quite a bit is, you know, when there's quite a bit of moon and it's bright at night with the good binoculars, you know, we use Swarovski binoculars, but, you know, any of the European, the good binoculars, uh, a lot of times you can get the wind right and move into those areas where the elk are at night with the moon and be looking and, I mean, you can find some of the biggest bulls at night, uh, just by using the moonlight and using good binoculars. I mean, at 150 yards, uh, you can tell exactly how big a bull is. So I would encourage people to, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is bump elk and get in there and stir them up and cause a bunch of human interference. But if you can get into those, on the edges of those open areas and listen to those different bulls bugling and say, okay, that's the big bull that we want to get in tomorrow and sit there and listen to him interact for an hour or two hours. You will learn his, the nuances of his bugle and that will put you a leg up 
uh, in the next couple days as you're trying to target that bull because you know his voice. Yeah. And, you know, it, 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 it absolutely can be done. Um, we do it all the time. Um, and it takes quite a bit of time to sit there and really listen to all the different bugles and his characteristics, you know, maybe he finishes on a chuckle or maybe, you know, there's, you can, you can hear those bulls and get to recognize those bulls. So that's, that's a tactic that I would say guys could use on, uh, you know, brighter moon, uh, phases. And, um, you know, this is all good topic, topic of conversation, um, Chris, I really appreciate all of your insight and I want to give you a chance again to, um, tell the listeners how they can find you and more specifically, um, you, you gave a break to the J Scott outdoors, uh, podcast listeners, uh, last episode. And I want to make sure that they have the opportunity to, take advantage of the, you know, the elk module with the discount, I believe is $20. Well, it's a, well, it's a 20% discount, which then translates into the, yeah, the elk module is like 20 bucks. And then the annual full year, full access is 40 bucks. So yeah, it's a good deal. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great it's, deal. It, it's a great deal. Uh, and, you know, I, I, I want to be clear, um, I am not getting paid one single dime to promote uh, your business. Uh, I believe in your business, and I, I just want it to be clear that I'm kind of like the guy that emailed. I want to tell my listeners, you know, you got to invest in this resource because for me, it's 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 groundbreaking. It's, it's stuff that I wish I, like the email said, I wish I would have uh, heard 15 years ago. Well, and, and yeah, the, uh, first of all, thank you. I mean, I, I really appreciate it. I've, you know, I've over these years that we've kind of talked and I've gotten to know each other. Um, I mean, I, I look at you, I mean, you guys are down there in, in Arizona just playing with some just giant bulls. And so I'm envious on that, but you know, it, it, it's glad I'm very happy to hear that some of what you've been able to pick up on the module helped you and your hunters. You know, I mean, again, you're talking about somebody that, that waited 20 years to draw a tag and goodness gracious, you're, you know, you're not out there for meat at that point. You're, I mean, you want the meat, but you're out there for a, a once in a lifetime opportunity. And if that can help, you know, capitalize on that for some folks, I mean, that just, that tickles me to no end. So no, I appreciate it. And yeah, absolutely. If anybody just types in, they obviously just go to rowhuntingresources.com, R-O-E huntingresources.com. And then you can just sign in or sign up. And if in, in there, it'll talk about a promo code, just all one word, J Scott podcast. It'll just not 20% off and, and away you go. And, and I want to make a point here. Um, you also have a whole new uh, bunch of videos that you are in the process of loading into the module, yeah. and which makes an already exhaustive, and I mean that in a good word, uh, module with lots of resource there, uh, you're loading even more content on there as we speak. Yeah, and, and one of the things that you know I, I think we talked about last time and this time, I know, is the fact that you know, like I talk about with the with the glunk and some of the other stuff, I am always out there. Well, you said it yourself. The, the more you know, the more you learn, the 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 real you realize the less you know. And and I think the the relevant fact of that is is you're always learning and you're always testing 
what you've known and, and trying to prove it or, or disprove it. And that's kind of what we do with this stuff is try to get the best information out there. And I just loaded a video that updates one of the vocalizations that I talk about. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the vocalization that most people talk about when they talk about an estrus mu or estrus scream or estrus whine or estrus whatever. Um, I don't, I think you know, I don't buy into that and I can show you why on video. However, I just posted an, uh, an update to that that I think people are going to find interesting because the more that we watch it, I'm not convinced that that's a standalone vocalization. I think it might just be a progression of one of the previous vocalizations we already talked about. So that's the type of stuff that we're always doing in there. We're always adding more stuff and, and, and trying to push the envelope on what we know, what we understand, and get give you guys the best information possible. So, yeah, I posted an update that very well may change or contradict or at least supplement some of the previously held stuff that we talked about before. So. Well, I appreciate all your work and um, thanks for your support of the podcast yeah, and yeah. continue continue doing the great work that you're doing. And uh, I know we've got a lot of other topics to talk about that we'll talk about on future episodes, one of which is uh, I get a lot of questions about uh, early season elk tactics and we'll have to cover that in another time. Yeah. Um, so uh, until I talk to you next time, buddy, God bless you and I appreciate all the hard work. I know you've got a seminar in denver coming up here soon and uh, wish you the best with that and i know i you know i i've heard through the grapevine i have not been to the seminars but i hear you always have a packed house so uh wish you the best with that and uh travel safe i appreciate it sir thank you and uh yeah i can't wait to talk to you again thanks for listening to the j scott outdoors western big game hunting and fishing podcast brought to you by gohunt.com insider research faster hunt more Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and join today.